0: 2. We're going to be beginning the next little test or section uh, that John is writing here. And so if you got your booklet, you can take a look there. We're going to be starting in verse number 7. Um, what the book has done so far at this point is John, the beloved, who's writing. He was an apostle. He was a disciple of Jesus. He's done so many great things. He's now the elder statesman of the church. He's the eldest and only lasting apostle up to this point. Um, and what he's done is he's writing to believers to, one, assure them of their salvation And two, to make sure that they have proper fellowship with God. You and I can know that we're saved, but there's sometimes we feel a little far off. Sometimes we even feel like the prayer that we send up just hits the ceiling and comes right back. And that's because it's our fellowship that is off. Our position in God is not changed. We're still just as saved as we were the moment we trusted Christ. However, our fellowship changes based upon whether we are walking in the flesh or walking in the spirit. Or as John puts it, walking in the light or walking in darkness. So, uh, beginning in chapter 2, he started by addressing, and he said um, that if any man sin, we have an advocate. We talked about Jesus, uh, who is our our advocate to the Father on our behalf when we do sin, those of us who are saved, as well as the propitiation for our sins. And then he addressed that uh, we can say that we know him if we keep his word, the test of obedience. Those who truly know the Lord and say they know the Lord will truly follow him and obey him. Now, we talked about it does not mean that we won't slip up. It doesn't mean that we won't have a sin or or still have that struggle. You and I will have the struggle with sin until we put off this flesh and we go on into eternity. Uh, However, he talked about that those of us who are truly saved will truly obey the Lord because it becomes a natural response. Now we're going to be in the next test. The next test of fellowship and moving past the obedience is this. It is going to be that we love the brethren. We love our brothers and sisters in Christ that we have no hate towards one another, that we have the right relationship between God and man and us and man. And and so let's address here verse number 7 and 8, and we'll start today. Uh, We're going to see the old and the new command here, which is really we're going to find is one and the same. It says, Brethren, I write no new commandment unto you, but an old commandment which ye had from the beginning. The old commandment which is the word which ye have heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him, and in you, because the darkness is past, and the true light now shineth. Beginning here, we find the word brethren. This is important because he's going to be used. It is the word aga, agapetoi. It is used six times in First John to address the reader as those who are beloved or dear friends. It is translated in, in those ways as well. You can follow it through over the next uh, several chapters and find where you see uh, beloved or a little children um, you know, that that sort of thing. It's showing this term of endearment. The word itself is the clue of understanding the next section, though, the section that we're going to be dealing with today, because the word is agape. Uh, ag, yeah, I'm going to get it out this morning. Agape toy. It is the verb form of brethren is showing a specific people, a multitude. It is showing that they are beloved, that they are his little children. It shows that they are loved, not just by God, but by uh, him. It shows this term of endearment, the word itself is of love, and that's what he's addressing as we go through here. He's going to say in verse 9 and 10, uh, light and if he, if he that saith he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. He that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is an occasional stumbling in him, but he that hateth his brother is in darkness. And so we're called to have a love. So he deals directly with saying, My beloved are those who are loved by me, those who are loved by the Lord, And he's going to call us to live up to that name. If God loves us, therefore we are to love one another. And that's a difficult thing, right? Loving doesn't necessarily mean liking, but loving still means loving. And there there is a difference, but we are called to love one another, and that means also despite one another. Why? Because God loves us, and we are unlovable little creatures, aren't we? We're full of sin. We're full of wickedness, we're full of disobedience, and yet God still sets his love upon us. Now, as we go through here, this word agape that is used for the word brethren, that is kind of the root word here, it is one that is not just a, a, a sort of light love or a friendship love. There's other Greek words for that, right? You might have phileo, brotherly, and, and you might have that sort of thing, right? Uh, but it, it's different kinds, different sort of levels of love, right? You might love your dog, but you probably don't love, at least I hope not, love your dog as much as you love your wife, right? Hope not, right? Some of you wives are looking at your husband going, well, do you, right? Right? It's a, it's a, it's a difference, right? You can have a love even for a friend. But once more, a love for your wife should be pretty different, right? You might love a, a sports team or your guns or your boat your truck, but if it's more than the love for your wife, Right. We see the difference. The difference with this word agape, it is one of a selfless, self-sacrificial love. It means that I'm going to love and give myself to love and not just have an emotion. We have it mixed up today. The word love, it gets tossed around all the time. Right. As a youth pastor, you're around teenagers and kids all the time. And nowadays, love gets thrown around like, I mean, just oh, love you, love you, love you, love you. They have no idea what it means. Right. No idea. And to be honest with you, most of us still cannot grasp, none of us can grasp the depth of God's love, but let alone wrap our minds around, too, just the ability to love one another and what that really looks like. We often say we love each other, but we do so with a different motive or different, um, a different thing behind it. We want it for ourselves, and that's not true love, is it? You might have emotions, but emotions does not equal love. You might have warm, fuzzy feelings and butterflies, but that still does not equal love. Love means that you will sacrifice, no matter if the other person's sacrificing or not, whether you're getting along or not, whether you like them or not. Uh, a love that sacrifices, and we see that God demonstrates this. He demonstrates what real love looks like. We know that the Bible tells us in two places, that God is love, and here in 1 John, that God is light. We're going to see here in a little bit how the two do go hand in hand. But God being love demonstrates it, according to Romans chapter 5, verse 8 that while we were yet sinners, that Christ died for us. Is there any greater picture of love than God the Father seeing all of creation who does not love Him back, though they should, and they have gone wayward in their sin and their transgressions against His holiness, and instead of crushing them and obliterating every single soul, instead what He does is He sends His Son, Jesus, who was born uh, born of a virgin, putting on flesh, Uh, God in the flesh who comes and is living in perfect obedience to the law, loving uh, his mother and his brothers and his sisters and all those around him, keeping all the law, and would then die self-sacrificially giving himself where he who knew no sin became sin. He who had never sinned literally had all the wrath against sin placed upon him. That is what sacrifice and action looks like. That's what real love looks like. Not only do we see the love in Jesus' life and his death, we see it in his resurrection, we see it in the fact that he's coming back again. The way that the Lord loves us, the way that Jesus loves his church, it is given as a a bride and a bridegroom that he is going to come back for us. If he's coming for us, so we might have that marriage feast and and be with him and be so shall we ever be with the Lord. If he's going to do that, what does that also tell us? He loves us to the end. He didn't just love us enough to die for us and to raise from the dead but he loves us enough to come back and to draw us unto himself that we would be uh, his bride and that we would be pure and perfect before him and that we would be worthy of him and that we would be able to dwell with him and enjoy him forever. That's what love looks like. Now, the ones that are reading this, when they read the word, they're going to know a couple of things. They're going to know, one, that they are beloved or loved by John because of the way he's addressing them, right? Words do matter, right? Now, you can say, I love you all the time and not mean it or not show real love. However, when you use the word love, there should be real meaning and real things behind it. It should be conveyed, right? You might go, well, that's not very loving. Or your tone doesn't say you love me, right? Or your face doesn't say you love me like you say, right? Now here, they're going to know by reading this, John loves me, but even more so, Jesus loves me because I'm loved by the Lord. And to have true fellowship, we have to have the love of God. John knows this. He's already expressed this in just the previous couple of verses. In chapter 2, verse 5 and 6, he says, But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. Because we have experienced the love of God, it is being perfected or worked out in our heart to bring us to maturity, to a fullness of our Christian walk and faith. And it shows as well that we're to be known by this love. We're to be known by the world that we love each other, that we love God, that we love his word. I would say that most people in the world would look at the church today and say, I know what they hate, but I don't know what they love. Most would say, I know what they don't like, or I know what they don't do or stand for, but I don't know what they love. People should know that we love God because we show our love for each other, because we express our love for the Word of God. Now, I'm not talking about worshiping the Bible here. I'm talking about having a love for it. We should very much have a love for Scripture, right? It's not just a book that we carry to to church. It's not just something we might do devotions with. It is the love of God written to us so that we might have a love for God. It is God addressing and revealing himself to us so that we might know him. That is love in and of itself. People should certainly know what we love and what we stand for. We find the importance of love all throughout Scripture. He addresses and says, brethren, I write no new commandment unto you. Right? He's a, a going to address here that he's not trying to do anything on his own. He's, he's not trying to shake things up or go his own way. He's writing no new commandment. He's writing what, as he says, but an old commandment, which he had from the beginning. Now, he used that phrase earlier on in the book. He had said the same thing in the first opening prologue of chapter one. He says that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and with our hands have handled and of the word of life. He's addressing from the beginning. It is Jesus who literally is from the beginning because he was before the beginning. He speaks the beginning and the beginning comes he is the one who creates and it's there. He is also the one who is there at the beginning of his ministry. He's the one that teaches these disciples. He's the one that taught John and James and Peter and the whole long list He's the one that preached, and, and he's the one that did all these things. So these things were taught by Jesus literally from the beginning. Now, turn, hold your place there and turn with me over to the Gospel of John, chapter 13. Gospel of John, chapter 13. We're going to find a little bit about what he's talking about. John 13, verse 34 and 35 tell us this. Jesus speaking here and teaching his disciples, and he says, A new commandment I give unto you. That ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall men know that ye are my disciples if ye have love one to another. Now, Jesus writes and he says, it as he's speaking to them, that it is a new commandment because they had not quite heard it put that way for, uh, before. They had heard about they, they should love each other and that we're commanded to love God and that sort of thing. But here he says, A new commandment I give unto you that ye love one another as I have loved you. Well, how did Jesus love them? Jesus did not get carried around on, uh, you know, this big kingly carried by all his disciples on this giant throne on this earth. No, he walked and humbly walked beside them. He went through the highways and the hedges and he went to the untouchables and the unlovables. He's the same one who literally, before he dies, washes the feet of the disciples, even those who will scatter, even those who will betray, even those who will... uh, um, deny him that's what love looks like sacrifice and he says if i have loved you and as i loved you you're to love one another and he says by this command by this action men shall know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another the best way to show that you're a disciple of the lord is to one as he's already addressed in first john obey the lord and second love the things and the people of god to love one another, to express that love. I believe that COVID has certainly hurt that in the church today. We became distant from God by not meeting near as much. We became distant from each other by not seeing each other and being a little leery of each other going, I I heard someone sneeze, I bet they got it, right? I mean, think about it, you can't cough or anything anymore and people are nervous around each other. We're called to love one one another. We're not to lose that love for each other. If anything, in the days ahead, we need all the love for each other that we can possibly give and get. It's what's going to drive us. It's what's going to push us forward. Now, Jesus has already hung all the law upon love. Back a few pages over in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 22. Matthew 22, verse 34. Page 868 in my Bible. I don't know where it's at in yours, so... You'll find it. Matthew 22, verse number 34. It says, But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. They're coming to try to take their shot at Jesus. It says, Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Meaning out of all the 600 plus commandments that we've got in the Old Testament here, which one is the one, Jesus they're thinking, oh, we got him now. And here's what Jesus says. Verse 37, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. That is a quotation from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse number 5. Then he says, this is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. We find as well a quotation from Leviticus nineteen eighteen. Uh, we see here that he clearly addresses, and he says, if you want to sum up all the law, dear Pharisee, love God, love people. Love God with all that you possibly have, all that you possibly are, and to love people as you love yourself. Now, you might be the most humble person in here, right? And you might say, I am the most humble person in here. <laughs> right? right? And you might do so, and you might think so, but the humble person is able to love God and to actually love people, right? Real humility humbles ourselves before the love and the face of who God is, and then it loves people the same way, right? We, we are often much more prideful than what we realize. We love ourselves, don't we? That's why we've spent so much time and energy on how we look, the things we have, the things we do, and even the places we go and people we hang around because, we know we don't want to be uncomfortable, do we? Of course not. Now, one of the drawbacks of American Christianity is the fact that we don't want to be uncomfortable. Any sort of, any outs or thing that might make us uncomfortable, we're going to get rid of it. If our shoe is just a little too tight or snug, or even if the laces don't lace up how we like it, you know what we do? We give it to Goodwill, and we go somewhere else, and we get another pair, right? We're a throwaway group of people. We're never quite satisfied with those things, and we look and see that we love ourselves so much that we're willing to do anything that it takes to keep ourselves comfortable and happy. And Jesus says, love God. And if you don't love him, you're not going to love each other. And you can look and trace it back. You take the 10 commandments commands one through four deal with our vertical relationship with God, right? One God, right? Sabbath, don't take his name in vain. I mean, the whole, whole nine yards, right? Then fifth commandment through the end deals with how we relate to, to man, so if you were to boil those down further, what is it? Love God, because if you love God, you're only going to have him as your God. You're going to uh, respect the Sabbath, respect his name, and live a holy life before him. But as well, the other commands of just the Ten Commands, if you love your neighbor as yourself, well, you're not going to steal from him. You're going to honor your, your, your mom and dad. You're going to, right, right? <laughs> you're going to honor your mom and dad. You're going to not commit adultery. You're not going to steal. You're not going to murder. You're not going to bear false witness and all those things we see it boils down to if you don't love God, you're not going to love your neighbor. And they would even go on to ask you, well, who is my neighbor? Right? And now, the neighbor is not just the one that lives to your right, to your left. Your neighbor is not even the one that sits on the pew next to you. Your neighbor is every single person that is made in the image of God who has the breath of God inside of us. Right? The, the fact that if they're alive and breathing, they have now officially become your neighbor. Now, we talk about How we want folks saved, well, it's going to take us loving God and loving our neighbors. Loving them enough to tell them the truth in love. Loving them enough to be the example and to to be what God has called us to be. I believe the reason why we don't see enough love in the world is because we don't have near enough love for God in our own hearts. We are easy to say how much we love the Lord, but our words and actions and thought life do betray us. We are to have a true sacrificial love for the Lord as He has done for us. Now John continues though, back in first John with this sort of dealing with what the old commandment like looked like. John continues discussing the old command and the rest in John, or excuse me, in second John, verse number six. Second John verse six tells us, "And this is love that we walk after His commandments. This is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, You should walk in it. So what did Jesus teach from the beginning? Love God, love people. Love God, love your neighbor. Love God sacrificially. Love people sacrificially, completely, with all that you are. There's not a day that you say to your wife, hey, honey, I'm just going to love you halfway today. How's that going to go? Not too hot, is it, right? Now, you might even say, honey, today I'm going to love you 99.9% of my love. That sounds good, but that's good enough for germs, but it's not quite good enough for our, our spouses, is it? It's got to be all. See, God never loved us with a partial love or a halfway love or even a 99.9. It is a full and complete sacrifice. That's what you and I are called to. But we often don't like sacrifice because it means that sometimes we might get bit. It mean, sometimes we might not get it our way or we might not get the love that we think we deserve. But we're still yet called to love. Now, John here, he's not trying to do anything new. He's trying to just reiterate and remind them of what Jesus has said. You and I have not walked with the Lord so long that we don't need to be reminded of who he is and his love for us. You and I have not known Jesus so long that we do not need to be reminded that he loves you, that he cares for you, and that he calls you to love others and he calls you to love him. We have not walked with the Lord for so long that we cannot get back to the basics because it's the basics and foundation that build up the rest of the house. And sometimes we have to sure that up. That's why as John, as we've addressed this, we must preach the gospel to ourselves daily because there's nothing more encouraging than that which is from the beginning. The ground roots of who God is and what God has done and his love for his people that he would die and be raised to offer them eternal life. I have here in your booklet, as you'll see that it is a grave danger to look for what is new in understanding the things of God. His word and commands are sufficient. The issue of the day is that the Gnostics, as John is uh, def- or uh, you know, uh, uh, defending the, the Bible and uh, attacking their position, because what they've done is they've said, well, we don't need the Bible. They said, we don't need John. We don't need the apostles. We've got our own thing between God and us, and we have our own divine light. And that's wrong outside of the Bible is way out of bounds. We can oftentimes be so creative that we miss what the Bible is simply saying. Or we over-spiritualize or we uh, over-try to do something that we just miss what God has just naturally said and told us to do or to not do. It is a danger not just for modern churches, if you will, but it's a danger for us in our own hearts and lives and our own churches to look for that which is new and exciting because what sells, right? At the flea market, I, I noticed a couple of things, right? The guy who is out there going, hey, three for five right here. Go. Now, he's selling some stuff. Now, he was selling junk, but he sold it. <laughs> now, the ones that are kind of just sitting off themselves and they got a few things on the table and they're just like, you know, they did, I didn't see them selling a lot. So it matters a little bit how we go about this here. But this guy over here, what is he doing? He's saying, new and improved shampoo, three for five here, right? No hair will fall out. Anything that's gray will turn back, right? You'll never have a dry scalp again. How about this? You know how many times Coca-Cola has said that they got something new and it's been fairly much the same, right? I don't even remember that. They had that one time where they changed the recipe You it didn't go too hot and stuff, right? They always have something new. Why? Because new sells. But new is often disguised as what is old. And John here says, look, you don't need something new. What you need is what Jesus has already said. And it is enough. What we need in churches is not something that's necessarily new or exciting or fresh or as seen on TV. What we need is what God has already declared and said. And that should be sufficient and that should be enough. Now, then he moves forward. He says, he that saith... Excuse me, he that's, excuse me, uh, again, a new commandment I write unto you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. This is where we're going to spend a little bit of time this morning. What it means to love in the light, this new command, if you will. Uh, commentator uh, Cruz, he writes, So the new command of Jesus was the old command for the author and his readers. And it was something his readers had heard long ago when they first received the gospel. The striking juxtaposition of what appears to be contradictory statements, then, is the author's way of saying that he is not imposing some new novel obligation upon his readers, but only recalling them to what they have known from the very beginning of their Christian walk. You know what every pastor is called to do on Sunday mornings and Sunday school and Sunday night and midweek service? Not to give you anything new, but to give you what has already been said. However, we're called to give you what we refer to in our world as fresh bread. Fresh bread means that I've spent time and every pastor spent time that week praying, studying, preparing to give you fresh bread. But the fresh bread always comes from the Lord. It always comes from his word. Why? Because he's the bread of life. He's the one who gave manna to the children of Israel in the wilderness. They didn't have to do anything. They didn't have to go out and tilt the ground for it. It was there and they went and collected it. But what happened to them is they got tired of it. And they said, we've been eating this literally heaven-sent bread every morning that has supplied our every need. We want some quail, right? We want some meat. We want something good. And God said, okay, I'll send it to you since you're ungrateful for literally bread that comes from heaven. And they got sick and died. Many died. We think we're not so far removed from that mentality, are we? Right? What we want in our church is we want the new, the exciting, we want the new, fresh message. And I know, uh, I got this from, from Pastor Paul, you know, Baskin-Robbins has 31 Flavors for a reason. I'm not everybody's flavor, and I get that. Right. As long as ice cream is biblical preaching and teaching God's word, okay, find your flavor. Okay? But at the end of the day, if you have a pastor or preacher or an author who says, I've got a new word from God, go ahead and mark it, they are a liar and they have nothing new to say. If I have something new to say and it's not in the scripture or nothing. At the end of the day, if all that happened here was that we opened up God's word and expounded it. We got what we need. That's our bread. Now, for the Israelites in the wilderness, what happened for them? They wanted something different. Why? Because they were even used to Egypt where they had dates and nuts and all this stuff. Right. They had all kinds of things. And they get out there in the wilderness and. We've got just this bread that God literally sends to us by his divinity every single morning. They said, we want something different. It it was not fresh for them anymore. However, that bread was fresh every day, every morning. And every time we open up the word of God, what is it? Fresh. It still is. It always will be. And so what John is doing here to the reader, not just in the first century, but to you and I, is he's saying, you don't need the new and improved because there's no new and improved Bible. Sorry Mormons, it's not there. The the new and improved is really just the old and still fresh, right? You know this, the the blood of Jesus is still just as fresh today to save souls as it was the day that he died. The resurrection is still just as powerful and fresh as it was the day that he rose from the dead. And, And the day that you got saved should still be just as fresh today. Sometimes many of us, sit inside a church, and sit on a pew for so long that we're like an open box of or bag of chips or crackers that gets left open on the counter for a few days. What happens? It gets kind of stale. It loses its crunch. It loses its taste and flavor. And what do you do? You feed it to the squirrels and birds. Because you don't want it no more. I think many of us have gotten that place because of We get over and over and over again of what God says. And you know something? I'm not here to give you anything new. I'm here to give you what God has already said. That's the fresh bread. The fresh bread is the old bread from what Jesus gave to his disciples, what the apostles have written through the power of the Holy Spirit, and what God has given. It is fresh, fresh, fresh. The new command that he gives is really just the old command of jesus but john is reminding the reader so that it would remain new and fresh in their hearts the reason why you and i might schedule and have revival meetings or camp meeting or tent meeting or there's a million different kinds of meetings that they have it's all the same thing the reason why we have that is because we need some freshness because there is that time where you and i much like israel keeps chewing and chewing and chewing and we go well i'm taken care of my needs are met but I sure would like some sprinkles, right? I sure would like something different. But we need what God says. God's word should be fresh every time. And if we are true followers of Christ, we should be asking God, if we feel a little stale today, which you very well might, because even the preacher gets stale sometimes. Y'all got to listen to me, right? Y'all know. It, it, it happens to all of us sometimes because we get so used to walking and we get used to And we're chewing the same thing over and we go, well... I've read that before, and we skip over the genealogies, or we skip over, well, I've read John 3 before, Well, I know this verse, uh, skip over it, you know me. There's nothing new. I've read this three times already. Read it a fourth. It'll be just as fresh, just as good. The Bible is like your favorite restaurant, right? No matter what anybody might say against it, you love it. And when you go, you love it every time. The service is great. The, the chips and sauce are perfect, not too salty, not too spicy, right? Just the right amount of cilantro and everything else. It's all right there. No matter what anybody says, you love it. The world will tell us that this is not fresh. The sad thing is that we have many churches that say it's not fresh, and we need extra stuff, and that's just not the case. John said this some 2,000 years ago, nearly, and it's still true today. Love and light, as we're about to see, Go perfectly hand in hand. Because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. Many times when darkness is mentioned in the Bible, you know what else is mentioned? Light. As we've been talking about through the book of Genesis, and we've made it incredibly far so far. All right, so if you, you you know, (laughs) I'm just kidding, we have not. But come Tuesday night and find out where we're at. We've been dealing with the issue of before day one, we've got darkness and a void earth that's formless and shapeless. And why? Because God's preparing for day one, where then he says in verse number three, God said, let there be light. And so where we find someone in the darkness, you also find the light. There is this counter going on here. He says, because the darkness is past and the true light now shineth. You and I are called to walk in this light. I want to read for you a couple of verses. Out of Ephesians real quick i got a couple minutes ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 and 2 tells us be therefore followers of god as dear children and walk in love as christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to god for a sweet smelling savor and then verse 8 for ye were sometimes darkness but now are ye light in the lord walk as children of light we are to walk in love and we are to walk in light as he is in the light why because god is love And God is light. He is self-sacrificing absolutely all that love is. We cannot even begin to understand the depth of God's love and all the ways in which he expresses it, nor can we understand his purity and holiness and all of his light. But we are called to walk in both because if we are truly his children and abiding in him, as verse number uh, six tells us, then that's what we're going to do, to walk in love and to walk in light. We will not walk in love if we're not walking in light. We will not walk in light if we don't walk in love. The two must be together. Uh, Cruz also writes, The darkness is passing away because the true light has begun to shine. The true light here is best understood to refer to Jesus Christ himself. In the fourth gospel, Jesus Christ is the true light coming into the world, which the darkness cannot overcome. You can see that in John chapter 1 especially. Chapter 8, where he addresses and says, I am the light of the world. And he continues to talk more uh, in the gospel, John, about the importance of light. But there can be a little doubt that the true light that is already shining in 1 John chapter 2, verse 8, is a reference to Jesus Christ also. Even though uh, the explicit identification is not made, it is clearly showing us that Jesus is the true light that now shines. You and I are, were called the light of the world from Jesus. He said, I'm the light of the world. and he says to his followers, you're the light of the world. Well, what does that mean? Can we both be the light of the world? Well, the idea here is that Jesus is the light source. He is the light itself. If anything, he is the, The way that we might understand it, according to the luminaries of the world or the solar system, he's the sun, we're the moon, right? Y'all know that the moon is not made out of cheese. I, I, I thought it was for a long time. It's not. It's made out of a big old round rock that's got a bunch of dents in it. And you know what? It has no source of light by itself. What does it do? It literally reflects the sun to us. So when you see the light of the moon, what are you seeing? You're seeing the light of the sun off of the moon. There's your science lesson, right? We see, though, that's what you and I are called to be. We live in darkness, yet we are called to be light. Yet we don't have the source of, we're not the source of light ourselves, but we get it from another source, and that source is Jesus Christ, the true light that now shines. Jesus is that true light. Christ is the true or real light of which physical light is but a reflection. Just as he is the true bread and the true vine, according to John 1, 9, 632 and 15.1, the true idea of light, vine, bread, etc. is the heavenly reality. The earthly material things which we call light, vine, bread are copies of the true. We can see that in the references there in Hebrews. So the new command remains new because it belongs to the new age which has been ushered in by the shining of true light. John is dealing with this because those Gnostics believed in that century that they had the true light and that only they could have it. That same mentality is very well alive today as well. There are many who say, I've got my own thing with God. You don't. Outside of the local church, under the biblical authority of preaching, you've got nothing going on. You don't have your own divine light, your own divine way. You don't have your own thing with God outside of Scripture. What you have is a false religion and a false hope, and you actually worship yourself. So here we see the importance of this light, this true light. That we are living in a new age of enlightenment in the sense that we have the light of the gospel, the light of our conscience, that the Lord lays the law upon our hearts, that we have the scripture that is here to shine a light into our hearts, to take us from darkness into light. Because Jesus is the true light, we are reflections of Him. And if we are truly in the light and following His commandments, then we will walk in the love which he has demonstrated and declared to all men. As he's going to deal with uh, in verses 9 through 11, which we'll get to next week. Sharon was right. (laughs) Light brings love. And love shows light. Would y'all say that we live in a sinfully dark world? Of course you would. Right? Naturally, we look and we see it's all around us. Those of us in the light can see that it's dark, But those in the dark are literally blinded. They've been blinded by the devil, blinded by their sin, blinded by the world. They're living in darkness and then blinded. It's doubly blind. They don't know it's dark. They think that's the way the world is. And when we have our little bit of light shine like a candle in a window in a city on a hill, it blinds them. They either hate it and go against it or it draws them. Like, a, like bugs to a, you know, your front porch at night, right? When that light's on. It just They go, oh, overwhelmed by the love and light of God. As we're going to see even more so next week as we go and we, we find this truth that if you say today that you have the light of the Lord, or that you're walking in the light, you will also have the love. And we demonstrate our light by our love. And I would ask us today as we bring this to a close, Are we truly following his commands? Are we truly living in love and in the light? I pray that we would. If there's anything that this world needs today, it is to know the love of God and to have the light of God and his word spread throughout. That the light would overwhelm the darkness. We have allowed the darkness to overwhelm the light. And as we talked about, the natural law is if you have this dark room and turn on one light, it's no longer dark. We need to walk in the light and to share the love of God and let God take care of the rest. God will bless our faithfulness as we are faithful to him. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. Thank you for your goodness, your grace, your faithfulness to us, Lord. grateful for the truths that are here. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to walk in light, to walk in love, to understand this truth, Lord, that you Your Son, Lord, it is the true light. It's the true light and the fresh bread that we find in the Scripture. We find our hearts today, and as we gather and prepare our hearts now for this worship service and this time, God, that you would prepare our hearts to be clean before you, to be able to worship you with pure hearts and motives. Lord, that we would uh, not do so to, to be seen or heard of men, but we would do so that we might be able to come to your throne and that we might know you and have fellowship with you. God, I pray that today you would open up our hearts to your word, Lord, that you would do great and mighty things only you can. Help us not just say and believe that you you know, can or could, but Lord, that you will today. Help us to come anticipating you to do a mighty work. We love you, we thank you, and we look forward to this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to take a pause for the cause, and any gentlemen that want to come and pray, we've got the prayer room open here in just a couple minutes.